0: Welcome to First City Church, and for those less familiar with me, uh, my name is Paul, and I serve as one of the pastors here. If you've joined us recently in person or on our live stream, you know we've been recently learning from the language of the Psalms. And if you joined us last week or you had the opportunity to listen to the sermon online, you know we reflected on Psalm 12. And the big idea or the title that I chose for that sermon was Lament of Language. I chose that because the psalmist was grieving the way language was being used selfishly and was being used to manipulate others. And in providing a bit of a preview for what was to come this week in Psalm 13, I said we would play with the language a little bit, and rather than the big idea being lament of language, it would be language of lament. Rather than dive into the particulars of what the psalmist is grieving in Psalm 13, I want to use it as a bit of an ideal framework to learn the language of lament. Lament so that we, begin, we can begin to apply it and use it in our everyday life. So like every psalm of lament, the psalmist in th- Psalm 13, they are hurting. And so the I- ideal framework begins with the psalmist crying out in sadness to the Lord. It progresses from there To a plea for God to act while describing details of how the hurt weighs heavy on the heart. So much so, the psalmist seems to be drowning and despairing to the point of death. Yet the psalmist does not drown. The psalmist is not dead. The psalmist is not defeated. So the psalmist concludes demonstrating an ongoing trust in God for deliverance and rescue. Therefore, from Psalm 13, we have the opportunity to learn a language that helps us move from a place of hurt to a place of healing and wholeness. This language is critical for us to know when we're looking forward to something significant. Maybe it's a particular job or a a raise in salary or or a better house or or maybe there's a a particular event. I mean, fill in the blank about the summer of 2020 and, and you're only let down because that thing you were looking forward to doesn't happen. Or this language is critical for us to know when we have been lied to. When we have been betrayed, or when the person you long, the person you long to connect with, is either absent, or unavailable, or they avoid you altogether, or when you wake up every morning experiencing some type of physical pain, or emotional pain, or psychological pain. Or even in those situations when we're confronted with our own sin. We're awakening to how we have hurt others. That makes us hurt. Learning the language of lament helps us in those moments too. So my my desire for us this morning is to learn the language of lament to help us heal and to help us grow in what it means to be whole. To that end, I want to use Psalm 13 to establish three key lessons we need to learn about the language. Be sad, be specific, and be steadfast. So if you have a Bible, open it up, and I want to start with verses 1 and 2. How long... O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? And so the first lesson we're learning from Psalm 13 about the language of lament is be sad. The psalmist is expressing his sadness in asking the question, how long? Four times they ask that question. Patience has been exhausted. The psalmist is weary and the psalmist is weak repeated hurt and harm at the, an, at the hands of an enemy have been experienced to the point the psalmist feels abandoned. The psalmist wonders if God has forgotten who he is and if he has deliberately hid his face from him. Moment after moment after moment, the psalmist expected God to do something. They expected God to provide some tangible form of relief and rescue, only to be let down. I know this is contrary to what many of us think, but learning the language of lament teaches us to help heal. We need to experience sorrow and sadness. Psalm 13 is a, is a passage of Scripture that is so significant for me personally. So much so, I'm violating a bit of a boundary Pastor Chris and I have set for myself. You know, since I'm the lay pastor, I have a full-time job outside of serving in the church, so I do not, it's not, it's not good to preach two weeks in a row. But Psalm 13 is the first passage I ever used to speak publicly from in my adult life, and it was at my father's funeral. So it was about, about 13 years ago, my wife and I were headed home with our two oldest daughters when they were still pretty young. And I noticed on my cell phone, my mom had called over and over and over. My father had been in a rollover accident and suffered a burst fracture in his spine. He was paralyzed from the chest down. He was struggling to breathe. It was not good. And as his oldest son, when I got to the hospital room, I hurt. That call was the beginning of more and more and more moments filled with hurt. My father's diabetic kidneys went into failure to the point he needed dialysis to live. I received calls in the middle of the night telling me his medical team had to use the crash cart because his heart had stopped. Because his brain had been deprived of oxygen when his heart stopped, his level of consciousness was wavering. Because of his limited mobility, his skin broke down to the point he experienced what they call bed sores. Those bed sores became a lingering source of infection. He essentially lived in the hospital continuously for nearly two years before we made a decision to bring him home. When I hurt, Psalm 13 was the language I learned to be sad, to help heal. Rather than forcing myself to smile, I learned it was okay to sob. Rather than remaining silent, I learned it was okay to shout out in agony. Rather than shutting down questions and doubts I had about God, I learned it was okay to say them. And rather than responding to the question, how are you, with an obligatory I'm fine, I learned it was okay to say, I'm not fine. Things are really hard. I don't know how to make sense of the world right now. I don't understand what God is doing I feel so alone, I feel so defeated, and I feel so disillusioned. When you hurt, the language of lament teaches you to be sad, to learn how to heal and to be whole. This is the first lesson we take from Psalm 13. The second is be specific. Verses 3 and 4. Consider and answer me. O Lord my God, light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death, lest my enemies say, I have prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. So let me let me clarify. When I say be specific, I'm I'm not saying that every dirty detail of how you have been hurt needs to be covered. In this particular example, we don't really know the specific situation causing the psalmist to lament. that There's some ambiguity to it. So, scholar and, and theologian Tremper Longman, in his book, How to Read the Psalms, said this, this is a, a common in Psalms of Lament. In most cases, the references are vague, and we have every reason to believe they are so intentionally. The Psalms are purposefully vague and reference to historical events, so that they can be used in a variety of situations. So if the psalm is not historically specific, in what ways is it? The psalmist provides specific details about how the hurt was experienced. The psalmist felt a specific way. Not wanting to ever wake up, wanting to sleep to the point of death. The psalmist heard specific things that stung deeply when being harmed. I have prevailed over him. The psalmist's body experienced a specific sensation. That foes rejoiced in. The the Hebrew word translated shaken here means to totter, to shake, or, or to slip. Some of you might refer to something like this and call it a death blow. Your gut aches. It's hard to stand up, it's difficult to keep your balance. You are shaken so much to the core, it messes with your body. In being specific, it is, not, it is not sufficient to use the language, I was abused, or I was neglected, or I was abandoned, or my husband or my wife was unfaithful. This avoids sharing specifics of how you hurt and the unique sensations your body experienced in the moment. We don't like discussing those details because it often feels like a descent into death. Like how I felt when my father had finally made it home and as I was doing the stretches I was trained to do, his leg snapped because it had become so brittle. Or how I felt when I talked to my mother about the possibility of discontinuing dialysis So, so he could come home one last time, even if it was to die, rather than remain at the hospital continuing a decline that would not be stopped. That language you use, I can't go there. I can't talk about it. Those are the specifics that need to be shared. Now, I'm not saying by any means those details should be shared with anyone and everyone. But you should be able to go there with the Lord. And you should be able to discuss those details with a pastor or a loved one or a licensed counselor. Because those details that feel like death... They cause far more destruction than you realize. Those details cause the greatest doubt about who you are, about who God is, about the world you live in. Learning the language of lament will teach you those details that feel like death. They must be discussed in order to heal. When you hurt, Learning the language of lament teaches you to be sad and to be specific. Those are the first two lessons we take from Psalm 13. The third is be steadfast. Steadfast is a term that describes being steadily directed with a particular orientation. For the Christian, that means being steadily directed with an orientation to worship and serve the Lord. So Psalm 13 concludes like this in verses 5 and 6. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he dealt bountifully with me. The last two verses, there's this significant shift. The demeanor is different. The disposition is different. The declaration is different. I don't know how many of you have seen the movie Up. This is one of my top five favorite Disney movies of all time. But one of of the things that makes us laugh, or at least makes me laugh, is that the movie, in that movie, is how the, the talking dogs easily become distracted. They're focused on something, and then all of a sudden they're focused on something else. So in classic dog fashion, in that movie, it's a squirrel. Here's the language from one of the scenes as a dog named Doug introduces himself. I'll try to even put myself into the character. My name is Doug, and I have just met you, and I love you. My master made this collar, and he is good and smart, and good smart master, and he made this collar so that I may talk. Squirrel! He pauses and looks and then returns from being distracted. My master is good and smart. The psalmist has gone from expressing sadness to rejoicing and singing. It makes you wonder, is this a different person? Is this language, should it be part of a different psalm? Did the psalmist get distracted? Did something happen that helps shift focus from one thing to another? In nearly every psalm of lament, a similar type of shift takes place. And that shift is not due to a change in circumstances. There is no squirrel distracting the attention of the psalmist. We tend to embrace this mindset. You can either be sad or you can rejoice. You can either be sorrowful or you can sing. The Bible does not reinforce such a distinction. When you are steadfast... You can be filled with sorrow, and you can sing at the same time. Even when you feel like God has abandoned you, you don't abandon the belief God is your source of rescue and deliverance. So in the midst of sadness, in the midst of sorrow, in the midst of gauging specifics you associate with dying and death, the psalmist is able to rejoice and sing. This is what being steadfast does when dealing with significant hurt. Okay, we've, now that we've established with the language God has given us to help us heal when we hurt, to be sad, to be specific, and to be steadfast, I want to I wanna explore some ways we work against healing. Well, there are a number of things we can do that will not help to heal. This is like the person who injures their leg. In so many ways that may be well-intentioned, they prevent healing from taking place. Maybe they take some drugs to reduce pain and inflammation, and those drugs actually inhibit the healing process of the bone. Maybe they believe the best medicine is rest, and so in resting, their bone becomes much weaker in the process. Or maybe they embrace a philosophy of no pain, no gain. And so they injure that leg over and over and over again. Or maybe in an effort to escape from their pain, they use painkillers, causing much more destruction in the process. Here's the real reason I wanted... to to deliver the message from Psalm 13. When we Christians hurt, there are a number of things we do that work against helping us to heal. So one of the first ways we work against healing is stifling sadness. I wonder, when you hurt, do you know It's okay to be sad. It was a few weeks ago, our backyard neighbors who have shared a yard with us for several years, they were moving to St. Louis. And so our youngest daughter, Olivia, she had grown to be really good friends with their oldest daughter. And on the last day before the move, they spent hours together. And when this friend finally left... Olivia was struggling with the moment, so I, I picked her up and I said, "Hey, do you know? Do you know it's okay to be sad?" She shook her head, "No." Her mommy took her over to the couch, and her mommy began to weep. And seeing her mommy's tears, Olivia was convinced it was OK to be sad. And she began to cry. Are you convinced it's okay to be sad? And perhaps a better question is, as we reflect on the language of Psalm 13, do you know it's okay to be that sad? To get to a point you expose and express raw emotions to God. And that raw emotion is a type of anger and accusation that is not directed externally at some enemy, But vertically to God. For many of us, expressing and exposing those types of raw emotions of sadness to God goes too far. I mean, could you could you imagine praying to God? How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? Or how about using the language, Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? That's Psalm 10.1. Or, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? O my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer and by night. But I find no rest. That's from Psalm 22, verses 1 and 2. Or what about, my tears have been my food day and night while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? That's Psalm 42, 3. Now, I'm not saying by any means we should be crass or disrespectful in how we address God. We should not declare God to be evil. But do you know it's okay to be this sad? Or do you feel like in your sadness, you need to be put together? Adam Young is a Christian counselor with a regular podcast I sometimes listen to called The Place We Find Ourselves. And he says this, many of us have grown up in a Christian culture where it was flat out wrong to experience anger at God. It was wrong to ever feel abandoned by God or to ever feel a sense of disappointment in God, abandoned by God or anger at God. And so if we ever found ourselves feeling even the littlest bit of abandonment by God or anger at God or disappointment at God, we would promptly nip that feeling in the bud because we believed it was somehow ungodly or wrong to feel it. Many Christians feel ashamed of the real anger they have at God buried underneath the surface. You may be terrified of the thought of feeling anger at God, just feeling it, much less expressing it. But if you have somehow overcome the nonsense that it's somehow ungodly or prideful to be angry at God, then the anger that actually resides in your heart will have the freedom to bubble up. So when we hurt, stifling sadness is one way we work against healing. A second is to dismiss details. Like I said, many of us have a number of details we have experienced in life Engaging such details feels like death, so we deny engaging them with God. You will talk about the happy things, but you will avoid talking about the hard things. And in avoiding those hard things, you wall off areas of your heart that will not heal. Some some of you may have heard or or even had firsthand experience with something we we partner with other churches uh, called redemption groups. We we draw, in, in those redemption groups, we draw people together to spend time getting raw and real about ways we have experienced hurt. Individuals work through challenging life circumstances, like having been sexually abused by a trusted adult. Having committed sins of adultery or having, having encountered struggles with pornography. Of having not to be able to have the baby they long to have. Or, or struggling to have the relationship with a mom or dad they were designed to have. And the culmination of the redemption groups is for each participant to write a song. To discuss the details that cause the most pain. Here, here are the instructions. Writing your own psalm is a way to personalize what you learn from the psalms. The goal is to let the psalms teach you how to talk to God about the most difficult parts of your life. And then write something that expresses your heart to God Honestly, openly, and in faith. So what details are you prone to dismiss? What situations can you not describe even to your God? Was it the day your parents delivered the news they were divorcing? The night you were kicked out of the house, the the day you received the unwanted medical diagnosis, your experiences of being sexually misused and abused, when you were hurting and you didn't have a parent available to you that would listen to you, when you were delivered the dramatic details of how he died or how she died. Take time to talk to God about the most difficult parts of your life. Maybe even spend some time writing a song. Do not dismiss those details. So we work against healing when we stifle sadness and when we dismiss details. A third way we work against healing is being off in our orientation. On the one hand, when we're off in our orientation, we can be sad, and when we're sad and off in our orientation, we will be prone to be a complainer. Rather than directing complaints to God, you'll vent and address it to another person. Venting is not lamenting. You may be prone to take out your anger on others. Your your complaint will be more about you and what you didn't get than your relationship with God. I can't believe I didn't get that job. I'm so frustrated she won't talk to me. Why don't my kids give me the respect I deserve? Why is he so much more blessed with a bigger house or a bigger paycheck? I do way more in the form of service and sacrifice, and yet he is making out so much better than I. Directing our complaints in other directions reveals a lack of faith. We do not believe God wants to hear about our disappointment. We do not believe God is our refuge. We do not believe God is big enough to bear our hurt. And so when you are sad and off in your orientation, rather than experience healing, you will be prone to be a complainer. On the other hand, when we are specific But off in our orientation, we will be prone to be a victim. The details of how you hurt will define you. You you will descend into what feels like death, and you will stay there. And so you will believe you stink in the side of others, You, you will see yourself as defeated. You will believe you are slaves and others are your oppressors. And so in the midst of sorrow and sadness, you will be unable to rejoice and unable to sing. And so when you are specific and off in your orientation, you will be prone to be a victim. In learning the language of lament... You learn to uphold a theology. Your God rescues and delivers even when you hurt. So learning that language, it helps us grow in understanding how God leads us to move from a place of hurt to a place of healing and wholeness. And that language that language of lament how it progresses it should be should be kind of familiar think about it for a moment when we were a people in our sin experiencing sorrow and sadness because of the separation we were experiencing from god god separated himself The father surrendered his only son to be a sacrifice for the sins of his people. The son cried out in agony, in sorrow, while his bones were crushed and his body bore the bruises. Uh, There was a savior who, while he hung on the cross, he drowned and then descended into death. And yet, on the other side was not defeat. It was resurrection and rejoicing. The language of lament is the language of the gospel. It is the language that leads to life. Understanding it leads to us experiencing healing and wholeness. So when we hurt, be sad. Descend into the details that sometimes feel like death and know our God rescues and our God delivers. In learning that language, even when we hurt, we will be able to rejoice and we will be able to sing.